Thank you for being here today with us at Destiny Church, where we believe that God has a good plan and purpose and destiny for your life. Amen? Amen. We serve a good God. Amen? And uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, If you would, open with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18. At Destiny Church, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. That it's not man's Word, but it's God's Word. That it's inspired. Amen. That it's perfect, inerrant, authoritative. Amen. That it's a blessing to our lives. That it's the only sure foundation in this life to build our lives on the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, So we're going to spend some time in the book of Luke today. And um, we're going through a series looking at the parables of Jesus. Now a parable is a simple story with a powerful truth. And today we're going to look at one of my favorite parables, and I know I say that to you every week, um, and I've picked 14 of my favorite parables that we'll be looking at uh, over this series, so this is another one of, of my favorite ones, and it's, it's short, it's simple, it's sweet, and it's, a, it's, it's got a twist to it like most of the parables do, and I know it will be a blessing to your life. And this parable shows that there's really two ways for us as people, to approach God. There's two ways for you and I to to move towards God, to approach God. And one of them is good and the other is bad. One of them is the right way and the other is the wrong way. And so hopefully today when we leave here, we have a a more full understanding of how we Uh, should seek after God and how we should come into God's presence and how we should approach God. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that you would speak to each heart that is here. Lord, we know that you are revealing yourself, that you have revealed yourself in your word. Lord, uh, we have so many different ideas about you that, that come from so many different places that are not true. And Lord, when we come to your word, we see that, that this is who you are, that this is the true revelation that you have given uh, to humanity, that you have given to us, your image bearers, Lord, that we might live in right relationship to you. Father, speak to hearts, speak to my heart, Lord, help us to, to know you and to walk uh, before you, Lord, not in hearts of, of pride or self-righteousness, but Lord, hearts of, of humility. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 18, and it's it's very short today, verses 9 through 14. We're just going to jump right in. Jesus also told this parable to some, listen to this, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's not good. Amen? So Jesus told this parable to uh, bring a little bit of a correction to people in this department. 
He said, two men went up into the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we who have studied the Bible and we know the story of the gospel, um, we have a, an idea of who the Pharisees are or were that is very negative, right? Like, you would say, oh, they have a pharisaical attitude, and if you ever said that about someone, you're not paying them a compliment, Right? We, we have a very bad idea of Pharisees. Uh, they ultimately were the enemy of Christ. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus is the good guy and they're the bad guys. And at the end, they're the ones who really rally together to have Jesus crucified. Killing the Son of God, not something you want on your resume, right? So these are not the good guys. But in Jesus' day... If you lived in Israel, you would have thought the Pharisees were the good guys. They were the best. They kept all of God's law to the highest degree. If, if you were to think, okay, who that I know, if when we all die, they're going to go into heaven, get into heaven, everyone in Jesus' day would have said, oh, the Pharisees, for sure. They, look, at, look at how they live their lives. They're not... As, as the, the Pharisee prayed, they're not adulterers, they're not robbers, they're not extortioners, they're not unjust. And, and look, at, look at all the good things that he does. He fasts twice a week, and I have no reason to doubt that he's telling the truth. He pays a tithe of everything that he gets. He gives 10% to the Lord. Uh, the, the Pharisees were highly regarded in Jesus' day. They were the ones who were in positions of prominence, positions of authority. If you had questions about the scriptures, you would go and talk to the Pharisees. Let's see what they have to say. So when Jesus begins to tell this story, he's, he's contrasting two different groups of people. One that is highly regarded in people's minds. The other despised in people's minds, the tax collector. Tax collectors would have been known as sellouts. They worked for the Roman government. They were co-conspirators of an occupational force that many viewed unjust. They, they uh, collected taxes from God's people for the Roman government. They were Jewish people, so they had turned their back on their own people so that they could get a profit from the Roman government. They were allowed to keep 
everything above uh, the tax rate that they collected. So if the tax rate was 10% and they collected 20%, they were able to keep that extra 10. Whatever they could get, as much as they could get, they were allowed to keep above the tax rate. So they were not looked upon favorably in Jesus' day. They, they robbed and stole and cheated people out of money. And so Jesus paints this contrast of this Pharisee who keeps all the rules, who, who uh, does all the right things, a tax collector who's just a bad dude. And then he gives an example of the prayers that they prayed. One, the, the Pharisee comes and he just begins to give his resume. Look how wonderful I am, God. As if God doesn't know, right? Like who, who's, For whose benefit is he saying these things? Right? So he stands up in, in the assembly and he begins to pray and he looks to heaven and he says, wow, God. Thank you, God. You know, he, he, he even begins with gratitude to, to you know, it, it, he begins the right way, you know, thank you. Thank you, God. God, I thank you. That's the right way to pray. We're to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. But that's about all he got right. <laughs> thank you, God, that I'm not like those people out there. Man, if you come into church and you say, oh, I thank God, I'm just not like everybody else out there. Maybe you're driving into church and all your neighbor's cars are in the parking lot. I thank God I'm not like them. I'm on my way to the house of God. I'm on my way to heaven. They're just sleeping in on the way to hell this morning, but thank God I'm not like that. And thank God I'm not like sister so-and-so down there on my row. Look at how I bring my tithe to the Lord. Anybody else on my row giving tithes this morning? No. Thank God I'm not like them. God, I thank you I'm not like them. Wow, what a, what a blessing. He was so full of his own righteousness, Jesus says. He says he, he, he's telling this parable for those who trust in themselves and their own righteousness and treat others with contempt. And then here comes in this tax collector who is under incredible conviction. It says he wouldn't even lift his eyes. He, 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 he was under such conviction, he, he didn't even consider himself worthy to look up into heaven. He, he kept his head down and, and he beat his breast and he, he, his heart was so broken over his sin. And then the surprise ending, the, the twist. The ending of this parable is a total surprise. Jesus' hearers would have been shocked at this. Wait a second. You, what do you mean? This one, this is the good guy. He, he does all the right things. He has the great resume. This guy over here, he stole from me. What do you mean that he's going home justified and the other is is not the word justified it means righteous declared righteous 
It means sins forgiven, washed clean. One goes away declared righteous, sins forgiven, the other not. How can this be? It would have been a total upside down from what Jesus' hearers were expecting. And then Jesus gave the answer. He said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself would be exalted. This is really the story not of how to pray or how not to pray. This is, this is really the story of, of two different hearts. There's one heart that is soft before the Lord, tender before the Lord, convicted of the sin in their life, repentant of the sin in their life, and another who refuses to see that there's anything wrong with them. One that is, is content to harden their heart against God, content to stand before God on their own deeds, their own righteousness, their own good works, their own resume. Jesus says one is forgiven and the other is not. One heart is soft before the Lord, humble before the Lord, tender before the Lord. The other is self-reliant and proudful. Proudful. Proudful not of Christ and what Christ has done for you. You know, Paul said, I will boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. You, you can boast in the cross of Christ. That's great. You can boast in the fact that you're saved and forgiven by the grace of God. You can boast in the power of Jesus. That's great. But you can't boast in your own works. You can't boast in your own righteousness. You can't boast and stand in your own good deeds. And that's what this person was doing, this proudful heart. You know, pride is a big problem with people. I don't know if you've noticed this. We all are proudful. We all have a sense of, of pride. Um, I mean, how many of you like it when someone tells you that you're wrong? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And they're right, right? Like when someone tells you you're wrong, the first thing you do is you start thinking of all the reasons why they're wrong and all the reasons why everything that they do is wrong and how to justify yourself. We do not like it when we are wrong and we are told that we're wrong. That's because we have a sense of pride. Pride is a big problem for humanity. So God's word has a lot to say about pride. I just pulled up a couple scriptures for you just to show you how serious pride is. Proverbs 29, 23 says that one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus said this, Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Psalm 51, 17, 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. James writes in chapter 4 that God gives grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, just reading over these verses, it appears that pride is uh, kind of a serious thing. Why is it that God is so opposed to the proud? Said God resists the proud. Uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 6, a, a haughty spirit or a proud spirit, Proverbs chapter 6, names a proud spirit as something that God hates. God is not a fan of pride. Why? Why is it that God despises a proud heart? What is it about pride that is so destructive to our relationship with God? You know, pride, what pride does for, for people, for me and you, if I am proud in myself, what it does is it blinds me from the truth. Pride blinds us from the truth. Pride stops us from seeing the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that we need Jesus, that we need a Savior, that we in ourselves and in our own good deeds, our own good efforts, it is not enough. It is not enough. But pride stops us from seeing the truth. It blinds us from seeing the truth. The proud heart is an enemy of God. The proud heart is an enemy of God because the proud heart does not give God the glory. Does not give God the glory. You see, this Pharisee stood before God and he, he rattled off to God his resume thinking that, wow, God would be impressed somehow. He did it for his own glory, that, that people would, would see and hear his wonderful things and that they would say, wow, isn't this guy amazing? The proud heart does not give God the glory. The proud heart believes that it is self-sufficient, that, that through its own efforts and its own work and its own righteousness and good deeds that it can obtain right standing before God, self-sufficient. The proud heart cannot exist in a right relationship with God. You know, you are not self-sufficient, I hate to tell you. You are not. None of us is self-sufficient. You know, we like, we, we love, we love in our culture the idea of, you know, this, you know, self-made man or self-made woman, right? Just this Lone Ranger, John Wayne character who just goes in on his own and just kicks rear end and brings justice, right? 
We, we just love this idea. We, we love the, the stories of people who, who, who we believe are self-made. There's that term, self-made man. And it's so absurd. None of us is self-made, right? <laughs> I mean, just like we all got here through somebody else, right? I mean, we're, none of us is self-made. None of us is self-reliant. You know, we, we are all so completely dependent upon God all the time. For salvation, of course. Yes, absolutely for salvation. There's no way we could save ourselves. But, but even just for life, we're so dependent upon God. God is the author and the giver of life. You are alive right now because God has given you life. You know, as amazing as technology is and as amazing as science is, one thing that science cannot do is science cannot produce life. Technology cannot produce life. They're never, they never have been and never will be able to take something that is dead and make it alive. Because life only comes from God. He's the author and the giver of life. So, so right now, you are alive because God has given you life. All life springs forth from God. All life is sustained by God. Right now, you are being sustained by God. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says. All life has its source in God. It means you're, you're, God is pouring his life into you constantly. Moment by moment. Every second of the day. You right now are drawing your life from the life of God. But pride says, the proud heart says, I have accomplished this. I have done these things. Look at what I have accomplished. Isn't it magnificent? Isn't it wonderful? What a small thought. What a, what a, what a ridiculous notion. When all life comes from God, the prideful heart does not acknowledge God's place in our success, does not glorify God. In Daniel chapter 4, there's this really incredible story of the most powerful man on earth. He was the king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar conquered kingdoms, conquered nations, subdued them under his authority and power. And one day he was standing on his castle, on his terrace, overlooking his kingdom. And you know what his heart was filled with? Pride. And he, he looked out and he said, look at this kingdom that I've built. Look at my power. Look at my glory. Look at my majesty. He glorified himself. His heart was so full of pride. And God came to him and said, Oh, little king, don't you understand who's given you this authority? 
Don't you understand that it was not you, but it was me working through you? And I'm going to show you who has the power. So God humbled him, made him crazy in his mind. He went crazy like a wild animal. The Bible says that he stripped himself naked, going from living in a, the palace, the, the, the ruler of kingdoms, clothed in uh, royal garments, that he stripped himself totally naked and lived as an animal in the fields. Ate grass. And all the other things that animals do, because they have no sense of self-awareness, he, he slept outside, weathered. It said he was in that state for seven years. And then God granted to him his right mind again. And upon that, he said, I know now who the true king of kings is. Amen. He said, I know now who God is. Of course, he forgot his lesson quickly because just a few pages over, he's building a golden idol about himself again, which is to say that pride is a real problem in the human heart. So God in his words, he instructs, in his word, he instructs us to be on guard against pride because pride ultimately will turn our hearts away from God and the only way to live that is right in this world, the only way to live is in right relationship to God. That's the only way to live. That's the only way to live in this life is in right relationship to God right relationship to your creator. It's actually how you were designed to live. You were designed by God to live in relationship with him, to know God, to be his image bearer on the earth, to show forth and to shine his glory. Not that people would see you and be impressed by you, but that in you people would see God and be impressed with God. That's how we were designed to live. You know, pride, it not only ruins our relationship with God, it also ruins our relationships with others. Have you noticed this? No one likes a jerk. No one likes someone who's full of themselves. Self-righteousness is not attractive. No, nobody, nobody's like, hey, I want to hang out with the most arrogant, selfish, prideful person that I know. No. And all of you have friends that you might know that struggle with this, maybe. And when the phone rings and it's them on the caller ID, you don't get excited. You think, oh, great. What little thing did they just do that they want to call me and brag about? Or, or what, you know, anyway. Nobody likes a jerk. So if you're full of pride, you know what? You're going to have a really hard time with relationships. You're going to struggle to make friends. You're going to struggle to keep friends. You're going to struggle to find friends. The Bible says, Jesus said, that those who have friends, they must be friendly. You got to be a nice guy. Pride separates us from other people because when we're proudful, we're think, we think we're better than everybody else. Let me tell you something. 
you're not, you're not. You're not, okay? You're not. And this was the Pharisee's main error. This, this, was his, this is where he went wrong, was he did not see in himself the same sinful nature and same sinful flesh that the tax collector had. This is where he went wrong. Because of his pride, he was blinded. He was not able to see the sin of self-righteousness in his own life. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with others. And so the true, the, 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 the right way that Jesus teaches from this parable that we are to live in relationship to God, it is the pathway of humility. The position of humility that we humble ourselves. What's the antidote to pride? Humility. But do you know what the Bible instructs us to do? The Bible says it doesn't instruct us to be humble. The Bible instructs us to humble ourselves. Think about that. Think about it. it it's very hard to be humble. I mean, how do you even know if you are, right? If the moment you think that you are, you're not. So, like, you, you, how, do you, how do you figure, like, you know, you can't put, like, you know, Pat, Pastor Matt Bell, most humble guy in the world, on your business card. Like, that, that <laughs> humility is, is, is a hard thing to, to grab. It's a hard thing to hold on to. It's a hard thing to get a hold of. So instead of the Bible instructing us, hey, be humble, the Bible instructs us, humble yourself. And so if you live a life of humbling yourself, you will walk in humility. Humility comes from, and humbling ourselves comes from, having a revelation of God. That's where humility comes from. That's where the ability to humble yourself, that's where it comes from. A true, accurate revelation of who God is. You see, the tax collector, he knew his place before God. A, a true revelation of God. In Isaiah chapter six, the prophet Isaiah has this vision of God. He has this vision of God that God is highly exalted. Now, the Pharisee, if the Pharisee would have had the vision of God, he would have gone to everyone and said, hey, guys, let me tell you about this vision of God I had. And let me tell you about how awesome I am that God gave me this vision. And let me tell you why you should listen to me and follow me because, look, God's the one giving me visions. So this is how important I am. But the humble heart, Isaiah, when he sees God, what does he say? He falls on his face. He says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When, when you have a true revelation of God, perfect, holy, the only response is humility. The only response is to fall down on our face before God. God, the Bible says, who is enthroned above all things, who has all power, who has all knowledge, the scripture says, who exists in unapproachable light, unapproachable glory. 
This revelation comes not by comparing ourselves to other people, but when we compare ourselves to God. You can have pride and self-righteousness when you look around and compare yourself to other people. It's not hard to find people who are doing worse stuff than you. It's not hard to find. We live in a fallen world, okay? But true humility comes when we get our eyes off of everybody else and we put our eyes on God. And we open up his word and see who he is. And and then we get a revelation of ourselves and who we are. You see, even the slightest glimpse of the glory of God would put you on your face in humility. And those who draw near to God are humbled by God's glory. They're humbled by the fact that God would save them. That God would forgive their sins. That God would call them out and choose them from the people of the world and and, and call them his son and and his daughter. It's a humbling thing to be a, a child of God. Amen. It is the proud heart which is far from God. And to get a a true revelation of God, we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. He is the clearest, the truest, the most perfect revelation of God. So I would encourage you always to look to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Behold Jesus. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul, Paul talks about how that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all were created through him and for him. And that Jesus is before all things and that in him all things hold together. It says in verse 19 that in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's incredible when you think about Jesus and who he is. It is humbling. It is humbling. When we see who who we are compared to God, we we don't look around and nitpick everybody else. We don't look around on other people with contempt. When we see who Jesus is and the great love that he has for us, it causes us to to love others. It causes us to, our hearts to break over others who who do not know Jesus. And consider for a moment, if you would, Jesus enthroned in glory, yet the humiliation that he took upon himself, the humiliation that Jesus endured because of his love for you. Consider that. Consider the humiliation of of Jesus as he left his throne in glory to be clothed 
in human flesh. Consider the humiliation of Jesus as he was rejected, mocked, beaten, betrayed, denied. Consider the humiliation of Jesus as he allowed his own creation to put him on the cross. Consider the humiliation of Christ that he endured as he died for your sins. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 to do just that. And he instructs us, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That even though he had the right, the rightful, um, even though he had the right to be declared God and, and existed as God and is God, he laid his rights to those aside as he came and gave his life for you and for me. And this is the humility that we're called to walk in. A humility that will love others and serve others. A humility that will look upon people and not think, well, they should be serving me. I'm, I've been in this for a long time and now it's my turn to be served. No, but a, a, a heart that says, no, because of what Christ did for me, I will serve whoever God brings in front of me today. I will love whoever God brings in front of me today. I will not look upon anybody with a self-righteous attitude, but I will love everyone. He says, consider this in his humility that he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And that now God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus concludes this parable by saying one was justified, the other was not. Paul writes and he says that by works of the law or by works of righteousness, no one will be justified. That we are only saved and forgiven by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way to have sins forgiven. Jesus is the only way to have right relationship with God restored. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Your own righteousness will not cut it for we do not depend on a righteousness that is our own we cling to the righteousness that we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ amen would you pray with me today father we thank you for your word we thank you for your grace lord even though we may fall and fail and do fall and fail lord your cross your blood, your sacrifice has paid the price for all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all of our sin, even the sin of pride and self-righteousness. Lord, help us to have a clear, accurate portrait and vision of who you are, a, a true revelation of who you are, your power, your glory, your dominion your righteousness, your holiness, your purity. Lord, that we would not compare ourselves to others, 
but that we would look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, that as we encounter you, as we know you, as we walk with you, Lord, that you would change our hearts of pride and self-reliance and self-righteousness and put into our heart a heart of humility. Lord, that we would humble ourselves and serve one another, that we would humble ourselves and serve the community, that we would humble ourselves and, and to serve those, Lord, who cannot help themselves, Lord, just as you came and served us when we could not help ourselves. Lord, help us to, to follow in your footsteps, to walk as you walk, to live as you live, Lord, to, to let your light that you've put in our hearts to, to shine bright. Lord, that we would not be ashamed to shine our lights and to serve others in the name of Christ. But Lord, that we would, would carry your name, Lord, as a, as, as, as a badge of honor. Lord, that we are humbled to be called your children. Lord, now as we come to give our tithes and our offerings to you, we, we thank you that everything that we have is a gift from you. Lord, our, our, everything we possess, it belongs to you. Lord, we do not own anything, even our own life. It is yours. And so, Lord, we give now today in response to your word. We give in obedience to you. We give in faith. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us, that you have given to us life. And, Lord, that you sustain us moment by moment. Lord, you've given us food and shelter and clothing and relationships and lord you just bless us daily in and out thank you lord that we are a blessed people today and we are blessed to be able to give in jesus name amen, amen. the lord bless you as you give today